Business School. Hi there, welcome everybody. This is Daryl Pereira and this is the Business Schooled podcast where we discuss those topics that you may not read about in textbooks. And today, really happy to be joined by Gina Genero, who is a leader and a, really a guru in the idea of future work and skills. And so really looking forward to this conversation. And Gina, over to you. Just tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got to where you are today. Thank you so much, Gerald. And thank you for including me in your podcast. As you said, I'm a future work and skills strategist. So that means that I focus on the trends in the landscape and what we need to do starting now to be able to be ready. I actually started my career more than 30 years ago as a Saturday teller at a financial institution, BMO Financial Group, which is the eighth largest financial institution in North America. I spent about a third of my career in frontline banking and in investments, personal lending, commercial, et cetera and had an opportunity to jump into the world of learning uh, right after the corporate university was opened at BMO and had a chance to design, even though I'd never designed a thing before that. Uh, I designed a new learning program and then actually stayed for a number of years in the learning space, managing teams of designers, getting into learning strategy and infrastructure design, and moved from there into some broader roles in the company in strategy, communication, design, operational effectiveness, and so on, and then came back into learning about eight years ago to run the corporate university, and then about five years ago as the chief learning officer for the organization. Since the start of this year, I've been out on my own, focusing in on broader industry-wide focus on future work and skills uh, as a consultant, try to help other organizations figure out their strategy as a writer, as a professor of practice at a local university, and a few other gigs. I got the advice to treat the next leg of the journey like a portfolio. So I've been doing that with many things, you know, short and long-term and formal and informal. And it's about being able to say yes to possibilities. I love that, that idea of that. what was that? Treat the journey like a portfolio, right? So you look at what you need to complete that portfolio. Is that right? And it's really about reflecting on what brings you joy, where do you think you can make an impact, and where do you want to stretch and grow? And so I look for opportunities for me to say yes to possibilities, whether that's helping other people, whether it's creating opportunity in the industry, whether it is leveling the playing field in different ways for, for different people, you know, giving back to society. It's about all the things that inspire me, and it's about being a little uncomfortable and doing things I've never done before. So I love the idea of pushing those boundaries, right, and getting into areas that we may not always consider. Um, so in terms of, I know sometimes when we think of this area around things like skills, talents, jobs, we might bundle those up together and think of them as all as one and the same thing. From your perspective, you know, how should we approach those? How should we think about this area in terms of, you know, as it relates to what we have, the raw materials that we have to work with? So all three are really connected for sure. I think about skills as the connective tissue that links people strategies and systems to business imperatives and really creates a fact base that businesses and talent groups in the organization can use to make good decisions. So skills are starting to enable a shift from matching people to jobs into matching skills to work 
And this shift is really important because it has the potential to accelerate opportunities within companies because they can be much more nimble. They can get work done faster. They can get work done better. And so it increases productivity. It increases and unlocks innovation. And it also creates great impact for customers and employees. I think about skills as having this great power to level the playing field for diverse talent too. Um, making it easier for great talent to be found no matter where they are and no matter what their background is and what their formal credentials might be. And it starts to create this opportunity to have them be matched to ways to apply their skills and to get deeper credentials through work and be able to prove themselves and open up new doors. And so I think that's so important as people are looking to figure out what their passions are and what their career opportunities are. You know, in the future, I think we're going to get better and better at crafting jobs and work in the language of skills, and that will enable us to make better matches for people. I like the idea as well that you talk about things like credentials and that aspect. I know here at IBM, one of the areas I work on is uh, something called Skills Build, where we have an open platform. Our intention with this platform is to help, especially underserved communities and underrepresented communities in areas like tech have the opportunity, you know, in the past, even companies like IBM, it would require things like a four-year degree might be the bar, which, you know, when we look at resumes, we might do cutoffs. So we've changed that. We've opened it up so that we allow more certificate-based education, more training on the job, more the idea that if you can demonstrate that you have at least the core requirements that once you get into them, they're working. If you can, especially we see many examples where people may not have had that opportunity for a four-year degree, and yet they've had a very successful career in tech. And, and hopefully we can open up more doors along those lines in terms of, especially for people that may not see themselves or their community working in an area. And, you know, it might lead to a belief that they can't themselves exist in that space, even though they really could. For sure. Many leaders, I think, coming out of the pandemic are starting to recognize how important skills are, and they can't get enough of the skill talent they want off the street. So they're needing to buy into investing in their people within their company. And if you're a leader and you're trying to solve a real business problem, would you rather have someone who has a degree from 20 years ago that they've never done anything with, or somebody who is right up to date and has just earned certifications for key skills you're looking for last week? <laughs> right? Like, I think the simple logic of that is starting to make more and more sense to leaders, which is a great thing. I love that. No, like you're saying, yeah, the immediacy and the fact that, yeah, <laughs> the, the way in which we sometimes judge these things, could, we need to reflect on and need to update in some cases. Uh, talking of updates, you know, I know that there's a lot of talk generally about this idea that we have something like you know, emerging technology AIs in the you know, front and center right now. There's definitely some discussion around what that might mean for individuals and their jobs. But then in terms of this discussion around skills and that side of it, how do you see what's happening in the AI space now? What are the, some of the risks? What are the opportunities like? There are so many technologies that are accelerating at rapid speed right now. I think AI is getting the lion's share of the headlines. But, you know, we've, we've seen coming out of the pandemic more and more focus on extended reality and blockchain and data and analytics and virtual and hybrid work meetings and learnings. And of course, accelerated algorithmic and generative AI. I think I read that ChatGPT had a million users in its first week, and it's up to 1.6 billion users per month now. So the numbers are just mind boggling. 
So as we see all of these technologies accelerating, in my mind, it's driving a need for new skills. And so we're not just talking about the technical skills and the digital and data acumen that people need to use the technology. It's also about you know, equipping them to have the human skills or the power skills like empathy and resilience, communication, storytelling, and so on that are setting people apart from the technology. So if they can use the tech well and they can be uniquely human, then you can start to create really powerful human-machine partnerships that get even greater outcomes. It's also important to build the higher cognitive skills that we probably don't talk enough about. And that includes things like critical thinking and innovation and problem solving. And these are really important. You know, we've heard so much about AI hallucinating. And so how do people use the AI as an effective productivity tool while being clear about what's good and what's not in the responses that you're getting? And how do you know you know, how to manage the risk, how to manage the ethics of using artificial intelligence, the the privacy, intellectual property rights, and all these sorts of things. So it's not just about using the AI by, you know, through keystrokes. It's about what does the AI represent and how do we actually use it in the most effective way to drive great outcomes, but do it in a safe and effective way. I love what you say there in terms of that idea that critical thinking can have a big role to play. Like you say, sometimes these skills are the ones that we don't always maybe focus enough on. I know we had in an earlier episode of, the, of this podcast, we talked to uh, Yu Chen from San Jose State University. And yeah, she made a similar point that she thinks also for educators, this is an opportunity with what's happening right now with generative AI. And she's doing this in her classroom where it is to really push some of these skills like critical thinking and some of these aspects, which don't always come through when you're, you know, if you're setting students up just what through writing essays and through some of these other areas, it doesn't always have them reflecting and thinking about what was that output that I just saw? Does that relate, you know, does that really reflect the business? Does it reflect the values of the business I represent? Does it, is it in line with what's generating business value or is it pure hallucination that's taking us off in a you know in a random direction and when it comes to fostering those skills what would you say like maybe both at individual organizational level what are some of the strategies we should use there's a great quote that i saw a week or so ago that says ai won't replace humans but humans with ai will replace humans without ai and i think to really stay on the cutting edge Companies need to be able to invest in targeted upskilling, reskilling, and what I like to call pre-skilling to help their team members build the deep skills required to ride the wave of this technology and everything that'll come after it and continually role model themselves and reinforce the importance of this learning so people know that the, the effort is worth it. You know, we're seeing that employees are often buying in faster than organizations around the need to actually do learning all the time. But companies don't always know what to do with them once they've developed these skills. So I think you have to actually show that the learning is connected to work, connected to opportunities, and connected to expectations around how people need to operate and prepare themselves. It's also important to create opportunities to fail, create opportunities to learn from that failure and to solve problems in new ways because the problems in front of us and the problems including AI-related opportunities are ones that we've never seen before and don't necessarily have a right answer. And then I would say the third thing is to continually stoke a culture of curiosity to ensure learning happens all the time. You know, we're seeing that the what they call the half-life of a skill, which is the time in 
which it will become stale, is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And now it's maybe down to two years. The World Economic Forum also anticipates that 40% of the skills in every job will become stale and need to change within the next couple of years. So if you think about the rise of AI, you think about the deep reskilling that needs to happen to equip people, that piece around curiosity and learning all the time will be critical because you can't take your foot off the gas. You need to be continually building skills because work and life will be continually changing. Now, if you are a business leader and like you say, there's this continuous change happening, what kind of strategies should a business, you know, whether it is the pre-skilling and the side of it, how do you keep up with both in terms of knowing what's relevant in terms of the innovation that's useful for your organization, if there's anything you can speak on that, but maybe more importantly is then how do you prepare? What are the steps you should be taking to be proactive and not reactive? I think one of the biggest things is continually learn yourself. And so it's it's important to be keeping your finger on the pulse of the trends, what's happening in your industry, what's happening in the broader landscape, and really connect, whether it be with peers or industry organizations, or you know if you prefer to read or you prefer to do whatever, make sure you're continually challenging your assumptions, continually learning, and continually developing a perspective on what the advances mean in the industry and what they mean for your company in particular, and then what they mean for your employees. So I think it starts with you and needing to really be at the cutting edge yourself in understanding what's coming and what the the so what of that might be. The next thing I would say is if you're in a position to be a senior leader in your organization, you need to be thinking about learning as an investment, not a cost. Because if you're thinking of it as as an investment, then you are deliberately putting money into creating opportunities for people to build skills that you need them to be building. So prioritize the skills that are needed, invest in those skills to be developed, and then make sure that you are rewarding, enabling, using the skills that people are developing so that you can actually create business value and challenge the learning leaders in your company to think about learning as the business of learning so that they're able to help you quantify the value that your investment in learning is driving so that you can treat it like you do every other part of your business. An investment should have a return and a people investment can have a huge return. Is that measurable? I know years ago I worked with a company that had a learning platform it was video based and it worked particularly well, I think, with sales organizations. You know, if they could work with big global sales organizations, they could see that, for instance, there'd be enablement for the sellers in terms of, you know, with new product updates and these kind of things. They're able to then map. They, so, you know, the sellers, you know, what education that they've watched through this internal video platform. And then they were looking at which sellers were most successful in terms of driving the most business for the you know, for the company. And they were doing some mapping to try and understand, was there any, you know, were there patterns in terms of sellers watching certain videos that were actually leading to higher sales for a given seller that they could then think about? Are those kind of strategies, is that what you're saying? Are there other ways in which, you know, you think about learning as, as a value add, not as a cost center? Long gone are the days where the learning team can say, you know, trust me, learning is great and important, or just stopping at the point of, Do employees like the learning and have they completed the learning? You know, what are the activity metrics? At BMO, um, my team and I really put in place a five-level structure for the way we thought about learning measurement. So 
at the base level was the infrastructure, the technology and the data that would enable us to have the right kinds of insights. The next layer up was operational effectiveness. Are we a well-run shop? What are our key performance indicators? What are our cycle times? Are we actually driving efficiency through our processes? The next layer was program metrics. Do our programs, large and small, formal and informal, actually deliver what they set out to do? And that's not just whether people like them or whether they took them. Are we actually seeing a difference in performance before and after? Are we seeing a difference in value that these programs are driving? The next level up is skills. Which ones do we have? What do we need? What's the gap? How are we filling the gap over time? And then the top level of our learning uh, measurement strategy was strategic impact. How does learning in aggregate actually support the top strategic priorities of the company and the big people metrics like engagement and turnover? And so by taking that holistic view of measurement and treating learning as a business, we were able to start to show points of impact. And that infrastructure layer was enabling us to set the stage for the future so that we we were trying to ladder up to being able to get into a place of predictive analytics and predictive modeling where we could see, okay, what is the basket of skills that is creating the greatest performance impact in certain types of work? Now let's hire or let's move people who have that basket of skills so that we have the greatest opportunity to drive outcomes for the business and then have that continually fuel the cycle. So we weren't quite there yet, but that was the intent on how we were building our measurement strategy and structure so that we could talk the language of the business and be able to show how investment drives value and value drives impact. I love that that idea of, like you're saying, how this maps from, it really is the business of learning. And I use that phrase. This is, yes, it's about, it's not saying, hey, we let, let's give us some money so we can do some training for our, it's really looking at it. To also then working, I guess, with other, sounds like you must be working quite closely with other parts of the operate, you know, business like operations, like those areas to be able to achieve this. You really need to. At the end of the day, we have to be focused on what the business and the company needs, what the business strategies are, business goals, business priorities, because at the end of the day, these are the people paying the bills, right? And they are focused on the things that create value for customers. So if you're creating learning and and skill building opportunities and so on, that are in no way connected to that business, it doesn't make sense. So you know, it's it's so important to focus in on what matters most to business leaders and and employees and customers and use that as the jumping off point. But then how do you actually trace points of value back that show that you move the dial? I also really encouraged my team to look for these wind in the sails moments, because if you're really keeping your finger on the pulse of technology and trends and opportunities, then as business leaders have problems, real problems they need to solve, if you're able to say, hey, if we were to approach that this way, here's how we could actually move the dial. That gets business leaders to invest in whatever the solution is that you're really trying to encourage as a partner to them. And that helps you advance the technology, the infrastructure, the data, and what you're able to do for the next problem that comes along. So you're able to be a bit entrepreneurial But because you're focused on business value, it's all really impact focused. Just to switch gears a little here, in terms of at the individual level, as we think of ourselves and how we approach our own plans for building our own skills, 
at one level, we could think of going, you know, most of us have a level of something that we're good at, or maybe we've spent time learning or we'd spent time working on. And something may come up, and I know I, I'll say for myself, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm in the content marketing space or I'm branding. I try and spend some time learning in that space, and I have done over the last few years. But then there's also then the idea of going broad and what other skills that might be useful. I'm going here for my own personal advice, but also by extension for our audience. What would you say in terms of, you know, whether it comes to going deep into a subject matter that you're known for, going broad and having an understanding? How, how should you approach that on a personal level? So it's such a great question. And I think it's really important to focus on doing both. <laughs> and I know that time is precious. So the rule of thumb I often give people is focus 70 to 80% on today and focus about 20 to 30% on the future. And so if you think about upskilling, reskilling, and preskilling, the upskilling and reskilling is more about the skills you need now. So upskilling is about staying current in the role you have. Reskilling is about building the skills to move into another opportunity, but it's an opportunity for today. And so think about the, the critical skills, the technical and digital, the human skills, and the, the higher cognitive skills that you need for the work that you're doing within the next year. And then as you think about that pre-skilling, that's developing the skills that you will need in the future for opportunities that may not have arisen yet. So that's really about building future-focused technical skills, future-focused cognitive skills, problem-solving skills, innovation skills, and so on. And if you kind of do that, the second piece is about stoking your curiosity as much as it is about building skills. And with the pace at which things are changing, if you're always thinking about, you know, what if and how could we, and I wonder about that, then that will keep you moving forward and keep you coming back and always learning about things. I'm a bit of a learning junkie, <laughs> which probably makes sense given the type of work I do, but I do try to learn at least one new thing every day. And so I focus on the things you might expect, you know, future trends, leadership, strategy, design, et cetera. But I also learn from a broad variety of things like paleontology and forensics and space and stuff like that. And often it's those things that have nothing to do with my day job that help me get unstuck if I'm trying to solve problems or help me think very differently about how I could approach something. And so I think that the ability to continually learn and learn for the future, as well as learning for the job you have today helps you see inspiration and fresh possibilities in ways you probably couldn't otherwise. Makes me think of, as you're talking, I'm thinking of the famous designers from the last century, Charles and Ray Eames, that, that and it comes up a lot in IBM history. They, they worked with IBM on a number of projects, but they're, you know, they're one of the designers where the, a lot of their work still resonates today. There's the Eames chair, which you'll find enough often in many places. But it's funny when you, if I know seeing an exhibit of theirs some years ago, one of the things that stood out was, for instance, that they, even when they were doing some work, which was at the time was largely about trying to understand technology as it stood in the 50s and 60s. And they spent a lot of time in the world of circus and looking at performative arts in that world. And they found a way to bring these two things together, which in some ways you could argue is why they're still around and why they, you know, it kind of gave them this ideas, some of the ideas they came up with, um, you know, in terms of bringing performative art into how they then demonstrated some of the 
the designs and some of the aspects, the work they brought on. You know, you couldn't see those two areas. You wouldn't say, oh, yeah, you should go do that. But also, I think that ties up nicely with what you're saying, that this idea that, like you said, whether it's paleontology, whether it's, you know, how it could be something completely different to the area that you're currently, st- you know, that you're focused on, but that there is real value in, in pushing yourself into some of those areas. And it sparks really different innovation. You know, often people will think that innovation needs to be something that has never been seen before anywhere. But, you know, a lot of it is taking your inspiration from something completely different and then thinking, how could I apply that in this very different context? And you're able to open doors and create possibilities that you probably never would have otherwise, right? It's just, it's fresh thinking and it's unlocking things in very new ways. Let me ask um, something I think it's related to what you're saying here, but in terms of, I know you touched on this idea of us pushing ourselves, uh, you know, this is also, as much as learning new, can also push yourselves out of what could be your comfort zone. When it comes to doing that, would you have any tips, tricks, you know, what, what would be your advice and your perspective on, on how people should approach that? I think it's important to be deliberate about it. So I didn't set up my podcast lists and so on by chance. I actually thought, what am I interested in? What will push my thinking? What can kind of get me out of the box of where I might sit? And I was really deliberate about poking and prodding and finding things and and following people who had very different interests from me, who had very different things that they followed. I was deliberate about curating lists of people to follow in social media and saying, wow, okay, they're reading this article or they're talking about this podcast or they're interested in this book. Let me check those things out. And I found that the more I did that, the wider my circle became in terms of what I was paying attention to, what I was curious about, and what I actually started engaging in myself. And so start with one thing and kind of build from there. Find one person who inspires you, who doesn't do the same things you do. Find one podcast you've never listened to before. Find one a thought leader or expert or speaker that you find kind of interesting and start to go from there. And the more you do that, the more it becomes a habit of exploring and poking into areas that you wouldn't typically find yourself in. Time has flown. I think this is it. This is all we've got time for today. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule to share your perspective with us. Really fascinating. As you say, you know, future of work, this idea of skills and education as a business priority, I think is something that all businesses, big or small, can definitely value and can benefit from. And I love the individual notes as well you've shared with us today for the audience to take away in terms of how we can broaden ourselves and make ourselves both in terms of maybe upgrade our own levels of curiosity and at the same time make ourselves more marketable. So I really appreciate you taking time. Thanks all for listening. This is Gina Genero on the Business School podcast. This is part of the ongoing series that we're doing around the business of AI. Check out more episodes in this particular series and you can find out more generally what we're doing around business schooled wherever you pick up your podcasts thanks for listening Mm -hmm.